You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. So if you have your Bibles open to the book of Genesis, we're in Genesis chapter 6 today. Last week I covered Genesis chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. This week I'm covering Genesis chapter 6 verses 9 through chapter 8, 22, okay? Last week it took me 33 minutes to preach 8 verses, okay? I'm preaching 3 chapters today. So, happy anniversary to me. We got lunch. We may bring lunch in and serve it in the middle of the sermon is what I'm saying, guys, okay? Uh, no, we're going we're gonna to cover this at a very high level, okay? This is a story... Um, that you are probably familiar with. It is the story uh, of Noah and, and the great flood, okay? This is, if you have a uh, children's Bible, this story takes part pretty early on in the children's Bible that you read to your kids. Um, we're going to tell the story at kind of a, a 50,000 foot level. You'll get to see the broad brushstrokes of what God is doing. There is a ton more in here. I'm not going to read every verse. Um, today to you. Um, I hope that the story is familiar with you, and I also hope that you'll trust my summaries, or at least somewhat accurate to what God is doing in here. Um, but what's going on is the sin of humanity has reached um, a peak, and God has looked down from heaven, as we learned last week, and the sin was increased, and every thought of mankind was on wickedness, and God regretted that he had made mankind, and he resolved inside of himself to, to, to start over again. God said, it is so wicked, it is so broken, I'm going to execute divine judgment, and I'm going to justly destroy the entire world. And then we get um, chapter 6, verse 8, it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, so we have that little verse there, it tells us God was planning to destroy the world, but there was this man named Noah, and due to divine, divine grace, due to Noah's uh, specific uh, kind of attributes, God saw him and said, I'm going to be gracious to that man named Noah. And then we have Noah, the story of Noah picks up after that. We're going to start in verse 11 of chapter 6, and this is what my Bible says. It says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy uh, them with the earth. Therefore, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. And then God goes on to describe the exact dimensions of the ark and how to build the ark and what exactly needs to go into the ark. He goes through a whole list of things about what the ark is supposed to do and who's going to be on the ark and who's not going to be on the ark. But what we see here at the very beginning of the story of Noah and the ark and Noah and the great flood is that God was ready to exercise judgment on the earth. Guys, judgment is a certainty for a just God, right? You don't escape God's judgment forever, right? Be sure your sin will find you out. I read that over and over again. I just finished reading through the book of Numbers not too long ago, and inside of that, inside of about a four-chapter section, you see that phrase, be sure your sin will find you out, three or four times. It's drawn out 
Guys, sin, your secret sin, the things that you do inside of yourself that you don't think anyone knows about, it is known to God and judgment is coming. Right? You might escape it. Your, your kids may not find out what you've done. Your, your wife may not find out what you've done. Your, your mother may not find out what you've done. Your best friend may not know what you're doing. But God knows what you've done. He knows what you think. He knows what you say. He knows what you've done. And God is just. Judgment is coming. And if we learn anything from the story of Noah, we need to learn that we need to prepare ourselves to escape from certain judgment. God has declared judgment is coming on the world. Everything is going to be destroyed. You must prepare to escape that judgment. God tells Noah exactly how to prepare to escape that judgment. He says, I want you to build a boat. And it's going to be big and it's going to look exactly like this. And he lays out what sort of wood to use and what sort of uh, rooms to build and the dimensions of everything. And he says, I want you to build it just like this. There is a very specific path for Noah to escape judgment. Noah was a righteous man according um, to the Bible. That means he did what was right mostly, right? He wasn't sinless, he wasn't flawless, but he was a man who tried to live righteous among unrighteous people, among the wicked. And God says you must prepare to escape judgment in a very specific way. There is one way that you can get out of judgment, right? Noah could have said, well, I really would rather build a yacht, God, something, you know, a little more streamlined, with uh, estate staterooms, and I could have some servants to come. And right, y'all been on cruise ships, right? Maybe he could have built a cruise ship for himself and for some of his friends, right? He's got people that he probably likes on earth. Right? We'll build a few cabins along the way. And God says, Noah, here's the boat you're going to build. It's basically going to be a floating zoo for you, your wife, your three kids, and their wives. That's what you get. Noah's looking around, and he could have bargained with God. Well, God. You know, it would really be helpful to have this instead of that, or I really would rather build it out of this type of wood, right? If you're a woodworker here, you have wood that you like working with and wood you don't like working with, right? Right? I don't know much about gopher wood, right? It doesn't sound like a wood that I would find around here. Maybe it was the best wood he could have found, but it was the wood God commanded him to use, right? And so he had a prepared path to escape judgment, and what we know about Noah is he prepared to escape it. He knew when God said, I'm going to do this, that God would do it. He trusted that God would do what he said he would do. And God said, this is the way you escape judgment. And he said, I'm going to go that way. Uh, dear Christians, this is the same today. God has declared judgment on the world. This world will come to an end. There will come another judgment. There's going to come a judgment that is more severe, more harsh than the one that we see in Genesis 6 through 8. It's going to be a total and complete judgment, a siphoning of everyone on the earth. The whole world itself is going to be utterly and completely destroyed and made new again. You cannot escape from any path that you think of, right? You might say, if I walk this path, maybe this will lead to my escape. God has laid out very clearly the path for your escape from judgment, right? Jesus himself says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is one path to escape judgment. Just as judgment was certain in the days of Noah, it is certain in the days of you. Judgment is coming. It's certain, it's sure, it's going to be here soon. You have to prepare to escape that judgment. And there is only one path to get there. We spend a lot of time working out other things, 
focusing on other issues, really honing down on things that are not that essential. There is one very certain truth in your life that this life is going to come to an end. Whether you you meet your maker uh, at the end of your days or Jesus comes back uh, in the clouds and, and executes judgment from above, there is going to come a day when you stand before a righteous and just God. The question is, are you prepared to escape the judgment that you've earned? Noah took it upon himself to prepare to escape judgment. Today, you need to be doing that work. You need to be doing that work not only for yourself, but for the ones that you love. To be warning them and telling them and exhorting them and begging them and pleading with them. To be raising your children in a way that they see that this life, which looks really good sometimes, is not the life that we live for. We live for the life that is yet to come. Prepare yourself to escape judgment. And if you've prepared yourself, prepare those near and dear to you. It is coming, it is certain, it is sure, and it's almost here. Picking up in chapter 7, Noah is told to go get the animals and to wander around, and and we don't know exactly how he got the animals, whether he had to go find them or God brought them to them. It was very specific. Two of every type of animal, seven sets of clean animals, uh, so seven pair of clean animals, male and female. And so he's supposed to have all these animals, supposed to get them all. Noah does everything he's supposed to do. As we read chapter 7, we see Noah just faithfully doing what God has commanded him to do. And then we get to verse 15, and it says, Then they went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those who entered, male and female and all flesh, went in as God commanded him. And then the Lord shut him And after the Lord shut him in, it began to rain, and we get to verse 22, and it says, Everything on the dry land, and whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth, and only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. Guys, here's, here's the story, right? Noah prepares himself for the impending judgment. He gets everything gathered together, builds the boat for the impending judgment, and then God says it's time to go inside and experience deliverance. It's time for you, Noah, to be delivered. So Noah goes inside, all the animals come inside, and I love the end of verse 16, that once they all get inside, it says, and then the Lord shut him in. It's like Noah couldn't even shut the door, right? God himself reached down from heaven, slammed the door shut, and that was it. If you weren't on the boat when God shut the door, you missed the boat, right? Some of us have been there in an airport before, right? You're running through the airport to try to catch the, the get to the gate before they shut the door, and you've seen it, right? I mean, I've, I've never missed a flight, but I have been there when people have missed flights, right? And they come running up, and, and, the, and the plane is just beginning, right, to back up, and the door is shut to the, the little, you know, jetway to take you out to the plane, and they're like bargaining, bargaining with the, the, the person. They're like, let me in. I've got my ticket. It's right there. I can see it. They haven't even moved yet. Can I go? Just open the door and let me go. And you know, those people are just absolutely heartless, right? Because they hear it probably 50 times a year. They're like, nope. 
Charlotte Wilson, you've probably heard your share of these stories, right? Charlotte used to work for an airline uh, back, back in New York, right? right? They come running, oh my goodness, I need, I'm sorry. No, you can catch the next flight. We can look to see what we can do to put you on a future flight. We'll try to help you get where you need to go, but you're not getting on that one because the door is shut and it's on its way. God shuts them in. And what we see in this passage, in this and in the later passage that I just read, is that there was a remnant that was saved by God due to the obedience of one man. You know, Noah was obedient. He was obedient to what God said to do. And because of Noah's obedience, we live today. You ever think about it? If Noah had looked at God and said, no, I'm good, God. God would have caused the rain to come and humanity would have been wiped out. And I don't know what God would have done then because I'm not God. But I know that this like existence that we enjoy today, sometimes enjoy, sometimes suffer through, depends on the day. But this existence that we live would not be except for the obedience of that one man. A remnant, some grouping was saved because of one man's obedience. And we look to the New Testament, we see the exact same thing. Right? There was a remnant that was offered salvation because one man was obedient to what God had called him to. God told Jesus Christ, you are going to go to the cross, you're going to die for the sins of mankind, and you're going to make a way for man and God to be reconciled eternally. And because of that one man's obedience, because Jesus Christ's obedience to the point of death, death on a cross, we can experience salvation. A remnant is saved. Not everyone is going to experience salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I believe everyone could experience salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I have no doubt about the efficacy, the ability that Jesus Christ's sacrifice had to save all the souls that have ever been. But I know that there are many people who choose other paths for their lives. They have other directions they want to go for their lives, and they are left out. The door is shut, and they are left on the outside looking in, but there is a remnant that is saved. You know, the Bible talks about hell a decent bit, right? We don't like to talk about it in the church because it's not the most pleasant of topics. In fact, it's the least pleasant of topics. Hell is a real place prepared for unprepared people. They go there and they spend eternity there, separated from the love and felt presence of God. They go there because they chose to live a life of their own accord. They did not trust And what the one man did. They chose to live their lives on their terms. And because of that, they're left outside. But those of us who know God through Jesus Christ, we experience great forgiveness. We experience the love of God in real ways. And there is a promise that while all of this may burn, while all of this may go away, we will remain Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, because of the obedience of that one man, we get to live. That is the story that we have to tell the nations. It's the story that the world needs to hear. Rockdale, Texas needs that message that there is a way through this life to get to something on the other side that is not like this. And if we choose any other path, it leads to certain destruction. But there is a way through. A remnant is saved by the obedience of one man. In Noah's case, that's his family. He's got three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. right? And they go and spread out across the whole world, ultimately create uh, all mankind that we have today. 
All right, so he has his kids. We also have all the animals, right? The things that we get to, uh, to cherish, things that we get to consume, the things that we get to look at, right? All of that is there because God preserved them through the obedience of one man. I just want you to know your obedience matters to God, right? Even in small things, what you do matters to God. So choose to be obedient. Choose today to, to say, you know what? I'm going to do the little things that matter to be obedient to what God has called me to do. God saved a remnant through, through Noah. God saved mankind through Jesus Christ. Are you with Jesus Christ or are you opposed to Jesus Christ? Let's jump down to chapter 8. Right? Uh, the waters, it says at the end of chapter 7, the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. But chapter 8, verse 1 says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided, jumping down to the end of chapter 8, starting in verse 20. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and he took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the God or curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. So we have the story of Noah, right? And it begins in chapter 8 when the, the, the flood is going on. The boat has, has risen uh, to high heights. It's 150 days of water prevailing over the earth. 40 days of rain, 150 days uh, of water. That's half a year, right? That is a long time to be stuck in a boat. Like I, I've been on a cruise, like a little four-day cruise, right? And that was long enough to be stuck on a boat with endless entertainment options, right? Um, right? They're stuck on a boat, right? And I don't even know, they can't even get outside and put a line in the water, right? It's, it's, not, it's not a good day to be on a boat. And they spend 150 days out there, and then God remembers them. I, I love the idea that God just is like, he remembers them. Sometimes we feel like God has forgotten about us. I, I know sometimes I feel as if God has forgotten about me. You're in the midst of suffering, you're in the midst of trial, you're in the midst of relational troubles, or you're in the midst of other personal struggles that you have, and you're looking at God like, God, do you see me? Do you understand what's going on in my life? Or do you even care about what's happening? And sometimes we feel forgotten, but there's a truth of Scripture that God does not forget us. He remembers us. He remembers Noah. And as he brings him to the front of his mind, he brings a wind to blow, and then all of a sudden the waters recede. We have, I skipped over the story of the birds, right? He sends out the, the crow or the raven, and it doesn't come back. And he sends out a dove, and it comes back with a branch, and it comes back, and he sends it out again, and it doesn't come back. And he knows it's safe for him to go out. But the story of, of, of what we have here in chapter 8, right, is that at the end of all of this, after all of the judgment is done, after the destruction of the world is done, after everything that once was so natural has become totally destroyed by something supernatural, God establishes a new community. A new worshipful community is established. The first thing Noah does when he gets off the boat, gets off the boat, builds an altar to God, sacrifices some of those clean animals that he had in the boat with him. He offers sacrifices to God. He offers these sacrifices to God to say, God, thank you for preserving me. We worship you and you alone. At the end of the story of humanity's utter depravity, we have God beginning again with a new community that is focused fully on worshiping Him. 
And if you look into the New Testament, the story matches up very well, right? At the end of all this, when Jesus comes back, if you've read the book of Revelation, just, just broad, brush strokes, broad brush strokes of Revelations, man, guys, it is rough. Right? You get a third of the world destroyed by this, a third of the world destroyed by that, a quarter of the world destroyed by this, a third of the waters eaten up by that, stars are getting knocked out of orbit. The whole story is pretty destructive and scary. Right? Like it's just like as you read it, it's intended to cause you to go, oh no, that's not good. And then you read it more, and you're like, no, that's not good. And you read more, oh no, that's not good. The whole story is designed to bring uh, horror to you. Right? Some people like watching horror movies. There was a horror movie watched in my house last night. Uh, my son had a friend over, and they were watching, I don't even know what movie, something some app that kills people. I don't even know. It seemed pretty dumb, right? Um, but like, like, the, the, like some people enjoy seeking out that sort of stuff. But when God lays it out in the book of Revelation, he's like, it's going to be serious. At the end of all of that, the end of all that destruction, the end of the world being totally and completely ripped apart, God comes back and redoes it all. And if you read Revelations 21 and 22, read those last couple chapters in the Bible. You see Satan is bound. Satan is destroyed. Good wins over evil. Judgment is fully executed and is no longer necessary. And God restores the earth back to its pristine condition that we saw in Genesis 1 and 2. We see a garden. We see a river. We see the presence of God. We see man and God living in harmony together. That's the end of our story. Sometimes we think the end of our story is we're going to die and we're going to go to heaven. Right, whatever heaven is. We have really messed up pictures of heaven. I have, like, just naturally I have a messed up picture of heaven. I think it's all dogs go to heaven ruined my, my visions of heaven. By the way, dogs, I don't want to get there, but <laughs> your dog might go to heaven, okay? My dogs, they're bound for hell, okay? I just, I just, just wait it. Right? I don't know if all dogs go to heaven. The Bible definitely doesn't speak to that in any way, shape, or form. But, but here's, here's what I do know. Heaven is not like what we picture as, in our natural state. Right? It's not clouds, harps, wings. It's not constant singing. Right? And I'm not saying there isn't singing in heaven. There, there is actually singing in heaven constantly. You're just not the one having to do it all the time. Praise God, by the way. Because I've heard some of you. Right, praise God that it's not you singing constantly. Right, that, that, that's that's a wonderful. That's the good news. No, it's not, that's not the gospel, but that is good news for some of us. Right, that we're not we're not the required voices there. I was trying to teach my guys up here to sing the the male part on the hymns. Right, uh, they, they they still want to sing the girly line. Right, the melody. Right, I'm like, no, we're going to sing the guys part. We're going to work on Mr. McGee down here, though. Okay, he's he's working on it, but. Right, right. Some of us, that, that picture of heaven is very unappealing for a lot of us. Okay, I'm going to go live, and there's going to be streets of gold, and I'm going to have a heart for some reason now, and wings. Like we, I've seen it a lot. Like, heaven got another angel? No. When you die, you don't become an angel. It doesn't happen. Just like, like, like when your dog dies, it doesn't become a person. Right? Like, like, we don't just turn into something new when we die. That's like Hinduism, Buddhism. It's not us, Christianity. When you die, you stay a person. You're still a person. It's okay. God made you to be a person. That's what you're supposed to be. Live as that person. 
But when you die and when this old, like, new world, new heaven, new earth is established, you don't live in the new heaven, right? Your land is not that, that, that ethereal world for angels and cherubim and seraphim. God makes a new earth for you. He made you from the earth. He'll return you to a better earth than we experience. And so when we walk around, we're walking around places that are familiar, that they draw back to parts of us that, that, that have a deep longing for. But that new, new community that we live in at the end, Revelation 22, is a worship-based community. We're fully focused on, on God because God is the sole object of worship. Here on this earth, we, we get confused by what we worship. Sometimes we worship our children, sometimes we worship our spouses, we worship our jobs, we worship the dollar, worship whatever's coming down the way. In heaven, it's very clear. There's one object worthy of your worship. There's one thing worthy for the heart of man to meditate on, and woman. And, it, and it's the loving God who created everything. And we get to go there if we're prepared to escape judgment. If we prepare ourselves to escape the judgment that's coming. And if we prepare ourselves to escape the judgment, then we get to be part of the remnant that was saved by the obedience of one man. And if we're part of that remnant saved by the obedience of that one man, Jesus Christ, then we get to be a part of that established new world. That new world that's designed fully for the worship of the God, the Father. God judges us. He judges us in order to start life again with the right focus. Our eyes have wandered away. We, we, we long for everything else. Again, I've been reading uh, in the Old Testament as I've been working through the Old Testament right now in the Bible reading. And, and God is really serious. He's like, hey, when you go and take possession of the promised land, like kill these people. And that seems really harsh, right, to kill whole communities of people. It, if it doesn't seem harsh to you, like go back and check your moral compass because it seems pretty harsh to go in and kill these people. And they have a story where um, they go in and they kill these people and they bring back all of the women, all, right, all of the women and all the children. And God's like, no, no, kill these people. So they go back and they kill all the women who were previously married and keep back the, the ones that were unmarried based on God's command there. But the purpose for that, the reason that God is so serious about it, the reason why we have stuff in the Bible that's not palatable to our 21st century um, taste buds is because God knows the focus of mankind is so easy to wander. Our eyes wander so easily. And if God had let the Israelites settle alongside of the Amorites and the Ammonites and the Jebusites and the Tikvites and the Mosquito Bites, if he had settled around those people, right, the, the, the wording of God, right, says you will whore after them and their gods. That's, that's what God says. You will whore after them after their women and their gods. It's who we are. We're so easily distracted. And we know this, right? Today, you know, a couple thousand years after the, the conquest, we still are like that, right? We're just naturally like, whoa, what is this thing? And we give all of our affection to this thing that isn't worthy of it. As God judges, he, there, there is a judgment that is coming. There's a judgment that's been. There's a judgment that's coming. It's a certain and sure judgment. The judgment is there so that God can start this thing again with the right focus, him. 
So today you have some work to do. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, today is a day for you to, to, to get saved, as we say in the Baptist church. It's a day for you to stop living for yourself and to trust in the one man who made a way for a remnant to be saved. How do you get saved? What you do is you say, God, I've been trying to do this on my own. I see sin. I've done wrong things, bad things, evil things, wicked things. I need to stop doing those things, but I can't stop. So I'm going to ask you to help me. And you call out to Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus, will you save me of my sins? And Jesus, who died on the cross, he died on the cross for every stupid thing you've done. And not just the stupid things you do, but the willfully wrong things you do, the wicked things things you do the part of you like sometimes we do stupid stuff like oh that was dumb and sometimes we're just bad right to our core uh i I may have mentioned this i had i I have a kid who who got grounded and when i was talking to them about being grounded they said yes i i know i knew that what i did would probably get me grounded for this length of time i just did it anyways like that's wicked right that's a natural wickedness that you can do the math and you're like yeah, I'm going to do the wrong thing. That's honesty. I praise God there's some honesty on the back end of the wicked kid, right? Right? But Because most of us, we, we lie about it. Well, I didn't really know, right? We lie. I mean, some of us, we're just wicked people. We're all wicked at times. We do stupid things. We do the math. We calculate it. And we say, I'm going to do it anyways. But God has forgiven wicked people of their sins. He gives us forgiveness through Jesus Christ, so you need to prepare to escape the judgment of God. It's certain, it's sure, and the only way out is by trusting the one man, Jesus Christ, who paid the price for your sin. You can come today. I would love nothing more than to spend some time and talk to you about how to do that. Some of us, though, who are believers in Jesus Christ, we have have stopped living for Jesus Christ, and we know that there's judgment coming. We've been told that before. Some guy got up and preached a real hellfire. I don't preach a lot of hellfire sermons, by the way, so thank you for that on my fifth anniversary. That's good to get one. Uh, right, but, 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 you know, we, we've heard about hell. We've heard about judgment. We've heard about the severity of the world. We've heard this thing is coming to an end. But it just, like, we're like, I got my fire insurance. Right? I trusted Jesus when I was 14 years old or 6 years old or 9 years old. I got baptized, and I'm good. And you might be good. By the way, if your whole relationship with Jesus Christ is based on fire insurance, I would question your salvation, okay? If, if all you have of Jesus, I have to do funerals sometimes, and the only experience that someone had with Jesus Christ was like, well, when they were 12, they went to church camp, and they got saved. They lived like hell for the next 60 years, and here they are dead. Pretty sure they in heaven? I don't know. I hope that what they did at 12 was real, because I don't see anything in the last 60 years. Some of us, we, 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 we may need to examine our salvation to make sure that it's actually true and not something that we, we did for other reasons. But assuming that it's real, assuming that our salvation is actually secured, you, that the motivation for us to be evangelists is found in this passage. Judgment is coming. It's sure, it's certain, it will arrive. But unlike in the days of Noah where God dictated that only you know, eight people would be saved, God has refrained from coming. He has held back his wrath and his judgment so that you could bring other people onto the boat. So you could bring your children onto the boat. So you bring your neighbor onto the boat, your coworkers onto the boat. There will come a day, though, when God's hand will will, will pull out of the way and judgment will come. And 
on that great and terrible day, God will shut the door to the boat and no more will get on. Guys, we have to tell people about this. You have to. I don't care if it's frowned upon. I don't care if it makes you a pariah at work. You have to tell people about it. It's the only message that matters. Did the Astros cheat to win the World Series? Who cares? People are dying and going to hell. We probably cheated, by the way, okay? It doesn't matter, though. It doesn't matter. Because when the new heaven and new earth are, 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 are totally established, all the wickedness will be gone. And everyone will be Astros fans. Maybe not. No, all the wickedness will be gone. Right? And none of that will matter. It won't matter. We have to tell people, though. They don't know if you don't tell them. You think, man, if I live right, if I do the right thing, you know, maybe occasionally if I'm reading my Bible app, right, and someone says, well, you know, oh, I'm just reading the Bible. Maybe someone will be one to Jesus Christ by your faithful just life. And it's true, people can be one to Jesus Christ by a faithful life. Ultimately, that faithful life has to be joined with a testimony of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. You have to tell people. You have a, a, a apocryphal quote uh, attributed to uh, St. Francis of Assisi, right? You know, share the gospel at all times or preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. It's always necessary to use words. It's always necessary to use words. Tell people, judgment is coming. It is sure, it is certain. You know the way out. Lead people there. Because when the door is shut, your loved one on the other side, they don't get in. You can't plead with God, and they can't plead with God, and God make an exception at that moment. There is a certain moment when it is too late. For a lot of people, over the course of human history, that moment has been met at the time of their death. You may have an aging loved one who needs to hear about Jesus Christ. They may die before Christ returns. You need to tell them about Jesus Christ. Maybe they'll be responsive now. Maybe they weren't for the last 70 years, but they'll be responsive today as death is coming. You must tell them. You must tell them. Because God's judgment is coming. He judges not because he hates us. He judges not because he's got nothing else. He judges because he's coming to start this thing again and to start it with the right focus. And we get to enjoy that. But I don't know about you. I'd like to enjoy it with some people who aren't currently on the boat. Let's get to work. Let me pray.